yielding control of our lives to Jesus. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Hey, welcome to another Abounding Grace broadcast. Glad you could make it. We'll be continuing a study in John's Gospel with another look into chapter 6. Now, whether we realize it or not, there are divine appointments scattered throughout our lives. If we're spiritually sensitive, like the men we'll meet today, God can use us to do great and awesome things. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor urging us to yield control of our lives to Jesus. Take your Bibles, open them to John's Gospel, chapter 6. That's where we are as a church, studying through on the weekend services in John's Gospel. We're in chapter 6. I checked today, we're in our 27th Bible study in the Gospel of John, and making our way almost through the uh, chapter 6, which is not bad. That's not a bad pace to keep. We're not in any hurry to finish. We're not trying, I feel no burden to take one or two chapters at a time. And if we have to stop and pause on one word or one concept or, or one thought, we're going to do that. Otherwise, we're taking pretty much, as you'll notice through our studies, we're, we're taking paragraphs or events in the life of Jesus and we're following along. I, I like to think of myself in the story. I like to think of myself of what it would have been like to follow Jesus, to see what we're seeing and to hear what we're hearing and, and even try to imagine uh, what it might smell like, what the environment might be. Um, fortunately, the Lord has allowed me to go to Israel, so I have some mental images of some of these places of, of the Mount of Olives in that area of the Galilee or like re- today in chapter 6 Jesus is in Capernaum and at the end of our section it says that he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum well there is an excavation right there in the area of Capernaum with uh, the foundation stones of a synagogue that would have been there during that time now the rest of it isn't there but the general area and the, the place of synagogue of, of Capernaum is still there and, and I like to I like to think of myself following along, learning from him. It it helps me as I'm preparing and praying about what God has for us as a church. And I would encourage you to do the same thing, to really get in. You know, when we think about diving into the text, there's a lot of different ways to dive into the text and allow all of your senses to accept what Jesus is teaching us and leading us. And chapter 6 is one of those chapters that we've broken down because there's so much in it. But if I had to pull back from chapter 6 and the big, big picture that I'm learning about Jesus in, in this chapter is that every situation is a discipleship opportunity for Jesus. He takes every situation, things that even we probably wouldn't want anything to do with, and he redeems it and uses it to teach people about his character, about his nature, about what it means to follow him. He, he doesn't just dismiss people. You remember um, chapter 6 opened up with these five, Jesus feeding miraculously the 5,000. 
Now, unfortunately, in that day, they only counted men. So if you were to count probably all that were there, let's say the men had their wife and one child with them, we're talking at least 10, maybe 15,000 people have come hungry to Jesus and his disciples. And his disciples, the apostles, those that were with him, looked at the situation and they tried to send them away. Like, what are we going to do? We can't feed 5,000, 10,000, 15,000. Send them away, Jesus, but not so with him. Not only did Jesus meet their physical need, but he took it as an opportunity to teach that he is the supplier. That if you just bring what you have to him, he will use it. He will multiply it. Not only that, but he also taught us that in that miracle, he wants to use us. That as he was praying over them and the food was multiplying, he gave it back to the disciples and they distributed it. And there was so much to learn. Not only that, but the very apostles that wanted to send the people away... Not only were the people not sent, not only were the people fed, but when the disciples left, they all walked away, you remember, with a basket full of leftovers. That's how they walked away, just like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Not only did God meet, but he multiplied. And not only that, but the kid that gave up everything received so much more in return. Every opportunity that Jesus took with people, he used it to disciple them. Now, the word disciple, it just means learner. It means someone that follows. It means someone that's taught. So when you think of discipleship moment, just think of these teaching opportunities. Jesus didn't see them as interruptions, as we do sometimes. He saw them as opportunities, and he redeemed them, and he always pleased the Father in that way. Well, next, after the feeding of the 5,000, what did Jesus do? Jesus told the apostles to meet him on the other side of the lake, and what did he do? He sent him into a boat, into a storm. He knew the storm was coming and he sent them into it on purpose. Why? Well, to teach all sorts of things like faith and trust and reliance, but also to allow them to be in a position where he could come and reveal himself as the Lord of the storm. And what do we learn from that? But that as we go through storms, God is the Lord of the storm. Not only that, but during that time for them in the boat, they had a very special treat, didn't they? Jesus came to them, how? Walking on the water. And it's like he would have passed them by, but they invited him in. And what a tremendous, like, wow, Lord, you care. You have so much care for us that you'll just walk out on the water. I mean, they're, of course, they're tripping out and just learning all about, man, this is an amazing man. This is, this is something special. This is something amazing. And on top of that, we don't get it in John, but we get it in other Gospels, that on this time in the storm-tossed boat, not only did Jesus walk, come out to them walking on the water, but someone else walked on the water too, remember? His name is... Peter, that poor guy gets a bad rap all the time. Because when you're teaching that Bible study, and I've also included this because it's a part of it, you know, he's taking steps of faith on the water. He's walking on water. I mean, imagine that. He's walking on water, but then he takes his eyes off the Lord and he sinks and he's saved. And we're like, oh, if you take your eyes off the Lord, you're going to sink. And it's all true. But man, let's give the brother some props. He walked on water. Everyone else was in the boat. He walked on water. If you think that's, if you think, well, you know, walking on water is not that big a deal. Okay, I challenge you. Next time we're out at the, at the reservoir doing our big baptism, I'm going to rent you a boat. I'm going to send you out there and just walk to us at the shore, you know. It's your turn to baptize and go, oh, it's my turn and just run to us on the water. You know, it's not, I mean, that's a miraculous thing. And there were a lot of lessons there. Then 
Then they come to shore, they get into the area of Capernaum, and what happens? The people follow him, all with ulterior motives. They're not, you know, again, not even on top of this, they're, they're really not wanting what Jesus has to offer. They're just hungry. They just want food. They just want to be taken care of. And yet the Lord meets them. The Lord takes care of them. And he didn't see them as interruptions. Isn't it true that it's far too easy to see things as interruptions rather than divine appointments from the Lord? It's just so easy to get caught up in our own thing, in our own way, and to see things as interruptions rather than God leading us into places of fruitful ministry in people's lives. I mean, you think about it. You think about the things that you're in every day. You, you have, you know, you have a, a schedule and you've got to be there by somewhere. You've got to be somewhere by noon. And so you set it all up and you take off on time. You get on I-25 and it's backed up. And there it is, the temptation to go, I can't believe it. I'm not going to make it. What's going on here? We need a bigger I-25. What's going, why are they doing construction? Only to find out when you come up, it was an accident. People are hurt. People need some attention medically. They need to stop everything so they can rescue them and take care of them. But here we are, we're all caught up in our, we're all caught up in our schedule. That's it. We're all caught up in our schedule. And the thought didn't even cross us. Didn't even cross our mind that we might need to pull over, that we might need to present ourselves to the officer. We might need to encourage them. We might need to pray for them. Who knows what we might, to do, might need to do, but because we feel interrupted, there's no spiritual response to a difficulty. I mean, maybe it's a traffic jam on I-25, and maybe it's just one extra person in line at Safeway that's messing you up. And you're like, man, Every time, every line I get into, it's the longest one. I can't believe it. I'm going to be here three more minutes. Ah! Only to find out that when you come up there, the clerk there is brand new. And she's a little flustered. And she needed this job because she needs to provide for her. She's a single mom. And her husband just died. And she needed this job to take care of her kids. And here we are all flustered for three minutes because it's a long line. When what she really needed was someone to look her in the eye, tell her how much you appreciate her, and in Jesus' name pray for her and encourage her in some way that the Lord would lead you. But here we are. We're interrupted. We're interrupted. And that's how we see things. And and I think they're a great picture of not being interrupted. If you want to turn with me over to Acts chapter 3, I I, I just get, before we even get into the sum of the text today, I just see this in the life of Jesus. He wasn't interrupted. Things that we think would interrupt us didn't interrupt him. He stopped and took care of the people and the needs that were in front of him. He was filled with compassion and love and mercy and grace. He was filled with the Spirit, obeying the Father. And oh, what life changes will take place when we start looking for this in the Bible and we start looking for this in our lives. Think think of this in verse 1 of chapter 3. Consider, it says that Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. They're, They're going up in the temple like they did every other day at the ninth hour at the appropriate time. Today we would call that going to church. They're going to church. That's what they're doing. They're going to church. They're doing something great. Something wonderful. We're going to worship the Lord. We got the kids up and the family up and we're on our way. We're going to be there on time. That's what verse 1 really equates to to us today. They're going to church. And as they're going to church, as they're going to the temple, it says in verse 2, there was a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, that they carried there. They laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those that are entering the temple. So there was a beggar. And I believe that beggar was there even during the time of Jesus. He was set up there. That was his spot. That that nobody else could get that spot. That's where they left him because he was lame and he needed help and he needed money. And and 
I was thinking, what does that look like for us today? Because we don't really see that around churches today, but we do see it all over the place. You know, if you take the same route to work all the time, and you're getting on I-25 North, and you're getting off on right on Hampton, there, usually on every corner, there are those that are begging. That's their corner. That's their spot. That's where they are. It's the same people all the time. I, I mean, in my mind, I'm always reminded of the guys, the little family that's there on I-225 when you get off uh, to head off onto that right turn onto Parker. You know, years ago, when you got off on I-25, 225, there wasn't a light there. That's, that's a new light. And I wonder if the Lord put that light there just for us as believers to stop and take notice of a person that's begging. Now, I don't know that every time the Lord's going to lead me. I know he does, and not every time does he lead me to um, look at them or to read their sign or even to help them. I know on occasion he does. I know on occasion he'll even have me pull over, park my car, and walk over to them to get their story, to, to tell them about the things of the Lord, to, to read their sign, and, and then talk about what's going on in their life. And, and yet, at the same time, it's very easy to just drive by, drive by, drive by, drive by, and never have a spiritual response to someone that's laid there and is lame and is there begging because they have a need. Not so with Peter and John this day. This day, as you know the rest of the story, he's begging, but they look at him and say, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give you. Get up. Today's your day, man. (laughs) Today's your day. Why? Well, when I step back and look at it, they weren't, you know, they've got an hour, that prayer hour to meet. But instead of worrying about the prayer hour, you know how this all started? with simple eye contact. That's how it started. That's not all there was, but they looked the brother in the eye. And you know, a lot can be done when you look somebody in the eye. You know, Jesus talked about the eye being the lamp of the soul, where you can actually see, you know, when you look someone in the eye and you want to engage. Looking him in the eye was also matched by a spiritual sensitivity of the spirit where the Spirit of God revealed to them and gave them a tremendous step of faith and, and impressed upon them, tell them to get up. You don't see them doing this all the time. You know, not every single lame guy, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. This was a work of the Spirit that started with eye contact that didn't happen every other day that they passed them. Why? Because it wasn't an interruption to them. It was an appointment to be used of the Lord. God healed this man through spiritually sensitive men. It started out as a divine appointment and could have very easily been seen as an undesirable interruption. They're headed to the temple to worship God, but in their worship, they paused to care for someone. And what a day it was for him. Many times, friends, listen, many times God does interrupt our daily routine and we get bummed and bothered by it and upset by it. But many times it's from the Lord. And then when we get bummed out and upset about it, we miss the moment. We miss the opportunity. It just goes right by us. And then someone else misses our opportunity to serve them and love them in Jesus' name. Why? Because we're all bothered. Oh, I can't believe it. I got to wait in line for so long. Or, you know, here I am at McDonald's and I look at my bag and I'm like, man, they didn't even fill the fries. What's this problem? I can't believe it. Now I'm going to have to go back and ask for the rest of my fries. And what's wrong with these people? What, don't they know how to fill fries anymore? You know, when I worked at McDonald's, and before you know it, you've totally missed the whole point of why you're on the earth. Why? Because you're so set, and I can be so set in my schedule, my desires, and I have forgotten that when the Bible says that I was born again, the Bible also says that I was bought with a price, that I don't belong to myself. My life belongs to him. 
And if I just see everything that I don't like as an interruption, I'm going to miss the divine appointments that God has for me. And I'll tell you what, when you follow the life of Jesus, you don't see a man all flustered and upset with people messing up his schedule. You see him adapting his schedule to the leading of the Spirit so that at the end of his life he can say, I always do those things that please the Father. And that's how I want to live my life. I don't want some religion in my life. I don't want to be bothered because someone messed up my schedule. I was just talking uh, to Dave uh, not too long ago. Dave is one of the board members, one of the elders here in the church. And we were talking Wednesday night uh, because he's a chaplain. We have a couple, few chaplains in our church that serves the city of Aurora uh, and serves the men and women that are out on the streets protecting us while we sleep. And a lot of our ride-alongs are overnight as they work all day and then they serve at night. And and he was just telling me that he had to fill out his paperwork and turn it in uh, for the hours that he's served. And and we started talking about it. I love hearing the stories of of how God's using him and what. And and he said something that I've often said from Bible study. He's just like, you know, Ed, when I go out on the chaplaincy, when I go out with a ride, if I want to report to the sergeant, I I need to remember to write my plans in pencil because I don't know what God's going to do. Some rides are really good, and there's a lot of conversation, but he was sharing with one, one of the most fruitful rides that he's had uh, in this last year was just being a servant to the officer and scraping the ice off the window every time they stopped. That's all that, that there really wasn't a lot of conversation that night. It just was one of those nights. And, and so as he was just open to the Holy Spirit, rather than sitting there thinking, oh, I didn't get any conversation or whatever could be thought, which isn't really Dave, but whatever could be thought, instead he had an ice scraper and he says, you know, I'm going to serve this officer for 10 hours. I'm going to, I, he worked all day, eight or nine hours. And then he said, this is what I'm going to do in Jesus' name. I'm going to serve this officer. I'm going to be here for him. And if this is all I can do, then this is all I will do as unto the Lord. Instead of like, oh, I can't believe it. I need another officer. No, no. It was from him. And he write, we need to learn. And I know we don't really keep uh, schedules on paper anymore, you know, and the old day timers and the old planners. And we would write things in pen. And then if we wrote things in pencil, I mean, if you keep your schedule on a computer or iPad, just get the delete button and make sure you know that you can change things up because the Lord wants to change things up in your life. That your life doesn't, you don't, you don't belong to yourself, church. You belong to the Lord. He bought you with a price and he wants to use you. And if anything I see in chapter 6... That's what I see. I mean, in the life of Jesus. But man, the disciples said, these guys are hungry. Send them away. That can be us sometimes. And it's wrong. We need to be open to be used of the Spirit. I like what my pastor Chuck used to say, and, and you know, I've studied with him. I still study with him so much that his voice is in my mind and in my head. And he would often say one of uh, the quips and one of the proverbs that he would say, and he would teach us, he would say, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be broken. You know, if you're rigid and you're just on your own deal, then you've got a lot of heartache and sorrow ahead for you. A lot of going back to square one. A lot of, man, what's wrong with this? This Christian thing's not working out for me. It could be the Christian thing's not working out for you because you haven't surrendered your life and died to yourself. Try that and then come back and report to me how it's working for you because I think the Lord will show you and show me. No, don't, don't look at me and go, well, the pastor's preaching at me. No, no, this is us. This is my life. This, I see this in my own life. And, and I don't want to miss seeing how fragile life is and how it can be taken from us at any second. I don't want to miss what the Lord has for me. I don't want to miss it with compromise. I don't want to miss it with, with uh, dis, you know, my life disqualifying myself from ministry or somehow hurting or harming my family. I don't want to see it in your life, you know, getting caught up in compromise and sexual sin and you think it's no big deal and all the while you're just wasting your life. 
with what God, and then, and then you do, and when you're in compromise, you don't have spiritual eyes. You can't see anything spiritually. But when you're in the spirit, man, the, it's like everything is seen spiritually. Okay, so with all that in mind, let's come back to John chapter 6. My introduction leads very little time for the meat, but it, we'll get to it. We'll get it. We'll, I think I, we, we've seen this in the previous studies that the Lord will get us through it. But let's pick up just to overlap where we left off. Verse 40, chapter 6. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, believes in him, may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up the last day. The Jews then murmured against him because he said, I'm the bread of life which came down from heaven. And they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? They're stuck, aren't they? They're stuck on that phrase, come down from heaven. You know why? Because they knew exactly what Jesus meant. Jesus is saying that he's the eternal son of God. He is saying that, he, that that simple phrase to the Jewish mind, to those that have studied the Torah, they know exactly what he's saying. They're saying, I, he's saying that he's fulfilled the prophecies, he's the coming Messiah, and that he's eternal. But look what they do. They say, but we know his mom and dad. So because we know his mom and dad, there's no way. How could he say he came from heaven? And they're not trying to understand here. They're trying to argue. They don't asking for understanding here. They're trying to find a way to push him away. And, and by the way, just because they know Joseph and Mary, their mother, his mother, that doesn't mean they know everything. They, they've come to the wrong conclusion. If there's anything good that Christians are at, if there's anything good that we're good at, you know, if there was an Olympic event for jumping to conclusions, we would do very well at that. Because that's what they're doing here. They're jumping to conclusions. They see something and go, well, well wait a minute. He's not eternal, which they don't even know. They don't even know the prophecies that said that the Messiah would come and be eternal born of a virgin, miraculously. And that's what they're doing here, how careful we need to be not to lean on our own understanding. Verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up the last day. Again, the sovereignty of God, the free will of man. It's beautiful. The Father draws. Well, how, is he, how does the Father draw? Check this out. Verse 45. It is written in the prophets that all shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So if you've truly learned and heard from the Father, there is no excuse in your life. As a matter of fact, everyone standing before the Lord will be without excuse. Because if you've truly learned from the Father, then through that knowledge, God is going to draw you to the Son. And you will come. Because of what you've learned. Not that anyone, verse 46, has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life, I am the bread of life. Notice verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And if anyone of, he eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. He ties in the whole picture of manna in Exodus chapter 17 again. And you'll remember God provided for the children of Israel as they left Egypt everything that they needed. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their sandals didn't wear out. They received a, a 
pillar of cloud by day to protect them from the heat and a pillar of fire by night to light up the way and give them warmth. And that's how God led them. He led them not only through Moses and Aaron and the leadership, but also supernaturally. God was taking care of them. And not only did he give them food and clothes, I mean, not only give them clothing and heat and warmth and protection, he also gave them food. We saw that last time. The Bible called manna angel's food. It was some special substance that was specifically made and created by God to meet every nutritional need in their bodies. Hey, thanks for joining us today as we study through the Bible and learn of God's abounding grace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Tanner. Are you interested in hearing this again? It's easy to do when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that to your mobile device. And we're really excited about this month's offer, a book written by Steve Carr called Married and How to Stay That Way. This book will help you determine from Scripture the practical ways to resolve your conflicts and how to stop them from reoccurring. You'll also learn what the first step should be to building a solid foundation for your marriage and give you a plan for building the relationship you're seeking. That's Married and How to Stay That Way. We'll send it your way with a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our online store at calvaryco.store. And thank you for your support. We rely on the support of our listeners to bring the teaching of God's Word to stations like this every day. And you know what? We're constantly hearing from folks all over the world that are being blessed, and your gifts help to make that possible. You can donate through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And here's a question. How has Abounding Grace blessed you? We want to hear. And it's easy to share your thoughts and your prayer requests at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage and connect with us. Well, there's much more to come in the Gospel of John, and we'll cover more ground on the next Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.